You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to a bonus episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports and powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. Flying solo today, my partner in crime, Zach Kelberman, is unable to make it for this particular episode of the pod. He's just kind of caught up in his travels back home from the NFL Scouting Combine. I have remained back behind enemy lines, or I should say maybe on the front lines of what's happening in the lead up to the NFL draft here at the Combine. I'll be here through Sunday, so still a lot of exciting time left to spend here in Indianapolis, and the last three days have been phenomenal, no question. Wednesday started with Vic Fangio. We got a chance to to talk with him and pick his brain a little bit, followed by John Elway and all the other NFL GMs and, and head coaches. Thursday started off finally some offensive line, and some a little bit of quarterback. So we got to talk to Brett Rippon from Boise State, Kyle Shermer, Easton Stick from North Dakota State, Shermer, of course, from Vanderbilt, and Jordan Ta'amu from Mississippi, Ole Miss. So that was a fun day, Thursday. We'll uh, talk about that here in just a minute. And then Friday, I'm recording this episode Friday evening, and I'm going to drop it Friday evening. We... Basically, it was the the star day of the combine with the quarterbacks, the main bulk of the quarterback group hitting the podium. So we got a chance to hear from Drew Locke and Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray and a few other guys that I found out the Broncos have been talking to and meeting with. So I'm going to dive in and go through some of that here in a short, brief, impromptu bonus pod for you. But first, a couple of quick matters of business. As always, guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Why do you want to do that? If you want to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with this show in about as close to real time as you possibly can, that's the best way to do it. You can always follow myself, at Chad and Jensen, and my partner, at Kelberman247, for similar benefits of real time staying plugged in. But we need to funnel your listenership as best we can also to our Twitter account. It's very helpful. And if you haven't done this, take some time to leave a creative review and rate the show, especially, especially if you are an iTunes listener, if you're one of those Apple people. I'm not. I'm one of the great unwashed. I'm an Android person. I'm a Samsung guy. But if you are an Apple listener and you use iTunes to consume the pod on a daily basis, we would really, really appreciate it if you took just a couple minutes out of your time. If you haven't done this, rate the show, give us a five-star rating, and leave a creative review because Zach and I are always keen to hear your thoughts and what you think of the podcast, your feedback, etc. All right, so let me back up a little bit. I think Zach and I did a pretty good job on Thursday and Friday's two shows to cover what took place with Fangio and Elway on Wednesday. That ground's pretty much been covered. We've also written about it quite extensively. Some weird things kind of came out of Elway's remarks after the podium. Some things he said on radio about Case Keenum, 
saying that he would prefer Case Keenum to stay in Denver, or that would be his, his preference, but that it's, quote, going to be up to him, close quote, meaning that, yeah, I want Case Keenum to stay in Denver if he's willing to play for the veteran minimum and give us back $6 million in guaranteed money this year, but we all know that's not going to happen. So Case Keenum, he sees the writing on the wall. He knows Joe Flacco's coming March 13th. There's no room really left for him in the in, at the end if he wants to be a starting quarterback or have a shot again at being a starter. It's not going to be in Denver. So he also knows that regardless of how the Broncos view him, whether they want him or don't want him, which clearly they, they don't, he is still guaranteed that $7 bucks. They They still are on the hook for that money. So... Only one of two things are going to happen with regard to Case Keenum. Either the Broncos are going to trade him. Still probably, it's probably the most improbable outcome and resolution to Case Keenum is a trade because of his contract. The other option, which is imminent, is a is an outright release in which the Broncos will incur some dead money. And it won't be fun. It'll be another, you know, uh, stain on John Elway's resume as a quarterback evaluator and a collector, if you will. But he'll be in the rearview mirror and the Broncos can move forward because right now they are number one in the NFL in salary cap dollars allocated to the quarterback position with just over $40 million bucks between him, Joe Flacco. So that's untenable. And if they want to have clarity and be able to accurately budget their salary cap dollars as free agency opens, they need a resolution to Case Keenum's contract sooner rather than later. So other than that, you know, we got a few tidbits from Elway on both Emmanuel Sanders, Derek Wolf, especially Chris Harris. Elway claims that he hasn't even thought yet of extending Chris Harris Jr., that that won't even be a topic for conversation until after the first wave of free agency. So I wrote a, an article on that subject, that topic, Friday morning, if you want to check that out. But other than that, I think the best thing to do is to move on to what happened on Thursday. So Thursday we got a chance to basically meet first with the offensive line prospects in this class. And it was really fun to see them throwing up their bench press on uh, on our way to the podium. So you enter this big massive room at the Indianapolis Convention Center and you walk through that. They have a uh, like a stage erected for the prospects to walk from the hallway onto this stage and then they have like some some impromptu temporary bleachers set up and they've been funneling in fans i assume some of these prospects also like family members girlfriends significant others etc to have a kind of fan spectator experience so that was uh, cool to watch especially the big offensive linemen just lay it down with authority on Thursday on the bench press. And if you missed it, Nick Kendall published an article early Friday going through the winners and losers on the offensive line for the bench press. And if you haven't checked that out, you're going to want to take some time. It's a quick and and an easy read, but it is extremely illuminating. The, uh, The biggest thing to me that came out of it from the offensive line, at least from from the bench on Thursday, was Mr. Eric McCoy from Texas A&M throwing up 29 reps and then he went and crushed the combine running the 40. So he's 6 foot 4, 303 pounds. He's a guy that he's looking pretty good as an interior offensive lineman option for any team. So keep keep 
an eye out for that piece. It's already published. Go check it out. But what was more interesting, really, I mean, it's fun to watch the, the prospects lift, but that's not really where the story's at, right? The stories are with the players themselves, talking to them at the podium, hearing what they have to say. It's kind of fun sometimes as a writer and as an analyst and as a reporter to hear the type of questions that fellow media members query to these guys, to be honest with you. And sometimes I have to pinch myself a little bit and go, wait a minute, I'm kind of like caught up just listening to these guys, th- these players respond to some really compelling questions. I need to come up with something myself, an answer or a question that I need an answer to that maybe, you know, none of these guys really care about, but it's important to me. And so that's been fun and, and a really illuminating process for me covering this combine in person. But really, if we go back to Thursday, just to backtrack for a minute here, I wrote a piece late Thursday after I had gotten all my other content up, got the Thursday or the Friday podcast in the system and ready to go so you guys had it first thing. After all that, the biggest things that came out of Thursday was the fact that the Broncos indeed met with Boise State quarterback Brett Rippon. I got a chance to confirm that face-to-face with Brett. I think it was first reported by Mike Kliss. But basically, Rippon, you know, he's a guy that's very unassuming. He confirmed the the meeting with the Broncos, and when he did so to me, you know, he very carefully tried to pronounce Rich Scangarello's last name, which, as you guys know, is not easy. I mean, both Zach and I botched his name for a long time until he was officially introduced by uh, the Broncos at his press conference, and they sent us a press release ahead of time in which they provided the correct pronunciation because we were all saying Scangarello, but he pronounces it Scangarello. And then to even complicate matters more, he goes by Rich Scangarello professionally, but our guest that we've had on the show a few times this offseason, Benjamin Albright, calls him Rick and knows him personally and goes back with him a little ways. So it's uh, I can understand how a player like Brett Rippon might get uh, caught up a little bit on wanting to carefully pronounce the name of the Denver Broncos offensive coordinator. But, you know, Rippon remains a, a low-key option for the Broncos if they – you know, they're sitting at pick 10 and they end up going a different direction or there's an early run on quarterbacks in the top five or the top 10. And by the time the Broncos go on the clock, you know, the one or two guys they have their eye on, they're just not an option anymore. And they end up going with a Devin White or they go with a DeAndre Baker or something like that. I could see the Broncos going somewhere maybe late day two, early day three with Brett Rippon. But he's not my... He's not my favorite option for the Broncos as far as a more mid to late round developmental option with upside. So we'll we'll get to some of those guys who I had a chance to talk to Friday that I actually like, or at least one of them that I like a lot more than Brett Rippon. But Rippon's a solid. He's a solid kid. I mean, being able to hear him talk, he's big on hockey. He's big on golf, as you guys know. His uh, uncle is Mark Rippon two-time Super Bowl champion and former Super Bowl MVP quarterback of the Washington Redskins. So there's a pedigree there that Rippon brings to the table that kind of does set him apart from some of his competition in terms of the draft class in 2019. Very interesting. Another thing that came out of Thursday that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet is the fact that Brett Veach, he's the general manager for the Kansas City Chiefs, had a really interesting quote about Drew Locke. Now, Drew Locke, I did get a chance to talk to Drew Locke on Friday. He took to the podium. But the day before that, here's what Veach had to say about Locke. Quote, 
He's an extremely talented player, great family. I know his dad, got to know the son a little bit. I think he has very intriguing arm talent. I think he has great ad-lib ability, which you certainly need in this league. Arm strength and ad-lib ability is a good place to start, and he has both those qualities. I'm sure it won't be long for him to hear his name called on draft night. Close quote. Now that kind of sounds like Patrick Mahomes, does it not? I mean, if we're talking about a general manager who's had an up-close uh, and personal look at a quarterback that excels off schedule, it doesn't really get any better than Patrick Mahomes. But you can throw in guys like Aaron Rodgers as well, who excel off schedule, ad-libbing outside the pocket. And if this, if Veach is saying that Locke has that similar streak in him, to me, if you're the Denver Broncos, who on Wednesday, both Elway and Fangio, talked about how you know everyone's playing second, third, and fourth fiddle to the Kansas City Chiefs right now in the AFC West, they got a lot of catching up to do. A guy who might really be able to help them close that gap sooner rather than later is Drew Locke. To me, he remains quarterback one, fit-wise, need-wise, whatever, however you want to say it, skill set-wise in this class for the Denver Broncos. I mean, I, I like Dwayne Haskins, listened to him talk, got an up-close look at him on Friday. We'll, I'll talk more about him in just a minute. But Locke, to me, remains the most intriguing. I, lo- I just His upside is phenomenal. His arm talent is there. His size is there. You know, you can discount the nine-inch hands, et cetera, et cetera, but you got to love that ad-lib ability. And you can even go back to the Senior Bowl to get a, a glimpse of that ad-lib ability in action and how it can benefit a team. And that's just not a quality that can be taught. You know, that's something that you either have innately or you don't. So that was Thursday. Interesting quote there from Brett Veach, the, the Kansas City Chiefs GM. Uh, another interesting thing is we got to talk to some running backs on Thursday. Now, this has kind of been off the radar for a lot of fans because everyone thinks that, you know, the running back position is a position in which, you know, the Broncos have it licked, basically. You got Philip Lindsay entering his second year coming off a Pro Bowl campaign. You got a 2018 third rounder and Royce Freeman also coming into his second year. And Devontae Booker was looking good last season, arguably his best. He looked the, the best he ever has as a pro. But what you got to keep in mind is that NFL teams, when they go into a draft, they are looking hard at their the, the way their current roster is, stru- uh, is structured, which players are entering a contract year, who are they, the teams, likely to have to replace a year from now, etc. And that informs, partly, their approach in the NFL draft as well as free agency. Now, who's entering a contract year in 2019? None other than Devontae Booker. Now, there's always the chance the Broncos could re-sign him uh, and and bring him back, etc., but Booker strikes me more as the type of player who's been outshined and failed to really cash in on his potential in his first NFL stop, and I think he's a player that's just going to kind of go through the NFL grinder and, you know, he'll hit free agency after his first contract with the Broncos and go somewhere else, and he'll probably end up floating around the league. Who knows? But I'm relatively confident he won't be in the orange and blue beyond 2019. So the Broncos are going to look hard at this class to at least find one running back who can step in and project as, you know, the third guy on the depth chart in 2019 and maybe step into a bigger role down the road. And there's a few really interesting options with that type of a, you know, thought in mind or plan in mind, one of them being Bryce Love. 
the running back from Stanford. Now, Love is an extremely talented player, but he's coming off a very significant injury, an ACL that he suffered in his final game as a Cardinal. So with that type of a situation, the odds are he's unlikely to make any kind of an impact as a rookie, right? So that's a perfect fit for the Broncos in terms of, look, we don't need you till 2020 at the soonest. And even then we might not quite need you yet, but we've been told that the Broncos, in particular Rich Scangarello, has a very high regard for Bryce Love, believes he could be a huge weapon for the Broncos coming from that pro-style system at Stanford. And this is a running back, let's not forget. He struggled in his final year a little bit in terms of meeting expectations, but the year before, I mean, he rushed for over 2,000 yards. I mean, he's a He's a thoroughbred. He's a stud. And he's also a very engaging, bright young man as far as an interview. You could tell from his personality he's a sharp dude. There's a reason he went to Stanford. So Bryce loves an intriguing option. There are some other guys who could fit in. Um, LSU's Nick Brossett. Uh, I talked to him at that point yesterday on Thursday. He had not met with the Broncos just yet, to use his verbiage. But the feeling was that you know he probably will by the time he leaves Indy. Now, I haven't followed up on that, to be honest with you, to see if anyone's heard if he's if he's did get his meeting with the Broncos. But he drew some attention, Brosep, from a, a really productive week at the Shrine game. So he's a low-key option. Keep an eye on him in the draft. Now, we get into the offensive line from Thursday. And, you know, there's a few takeaways, but the biggest one, and I talked to Nick Kendall about this, in fact, Friday morning, was Dalton Reisner. Now, you look at his name, and it it looks like R-I-S-N-E-R, like you'd say Risner. But he pronounced it himself as Dalton Reisner. And, of course, he's a Colorado native. He's from Wiggins, Colorado. And he, obviously, it would be a dream come true for him to play for the Broncos. He went and sought John Elway out at the Senior Bowl just to introduce himself, so to speak. But, I mean, he's a very Reisner, dynamic personality. And he got up there on the podium, and he was just magnetic in that sense. And one of my favorite quotes of the day came from Reisner. He said, quote, there's no greater feeling than taking a man from point A to point B against his will and putting him in the dirt. So he's a guy that I like, but then on Friday he didn't do so well with his 40, and he didn't do as well as some hoped and maybe even expected in some of the other drills. So that's probably going to hurt his draft stock quite a bit, but He's probably, as Nick said to me, he's probably one of those guys, a team's going to take him, you know, maybe maybe late day two, early day three, and just trust the tape because he is, on tape, a very, very good player. He's just not checking some of the boxes at the combine in terms of what teams love to see with some of the drills. Got a chance to talk to the other Connor McGovern from Penn State. Definitely an aw shucks type of kid. Um, but he's the type of guy when he hits the gridiron, you know, he can flip the switch, and all of a sudden he's a 320-pound gladiator. He did kind of joke, though, about if he were to be drafted by the Broncos, he'd either need to go by Connor McGovern number 2 or perhaps even have an asterisk uh, put next to his name to, you know, distinguish him from Denver's projected starting center in 2019, Connor McGovern, unless Matt Paradis ends up, uh, against all odds, being re-signed. But moving on here, we talked to uh, Jawan Taylor, the big offensive tackle prospect from Florida. Man, that guy is an impressive specimen to behold, even without you know, being fully padded up. 
he said uh, at the podium in a very dead pan tone, he was asked, in fact, about whether or not there's any combination of pass rush moves that he struggles with or, you know, how does he do against the bull rush? And Taylor just said, very deadpan. Bull rush has never been an issue for me. And you look at his size, 6'5", 312, and it really hasn't. And even Nick Kendall, I talked to him again, as I mentioned today, earlier today, and he's like, yeah, you know, Taylor has never had a problem anchoring as an offensive tackle, and he's played some NFL-caliber talent in the SEC there. So there's something to be said for Jawan Taylor if the Broncos, you know, wanted to spend a higher-round pick on the right tackle position. He certainly would be a good option. But one guy to keep an eye on, he's an interior player, Chris Lindstrom. This is a kid from Boston College. As far as a zone-blocking type of interior player, I don't think that the Broncos could find – I mean, he's as good as he gets, in my opinion, uh, in this class. And he has, in fact, met with the Broncos, both formal and informal. And I would assume any zone-blocking predominant teams like the Broncos, Vikings, Niners, Rams, Redskins – I'm sure all those teams, even John Gruden's Raiders, have probably met with him. So uh, Ole Miss offensive tackle Greg Little chose not to lift. He's, I don't know, he wasn't very impressive to me, but he seems to have a draft stock that is starting to take a, a downward turn because of his, I mean, if you're an offensive tackle prospect, it's understandable how some quarterbacks with really high draft stock don't want to damage their stock by throwing at the combine. I mean, if you're an offensive tackle prospect, unless you're hurt, you should be working out at the NFL combine, and, and Greg Little chose not to. So that's a pretty good, um, you know, bringing you up to speed recap of Thursday. I'm going to take a quick break, and when I come back, I'll convey to you everything that happened on a whirlwind Friday with the quarterbacks, the, the bulk group of the quarterbacks hitting the floor. I'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, guys. So back to Friday. Now, this was a really fun and exciting day because it started with Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke, among some other prospects, hitting the podium. And one thing I want to convey to you that it's not easy to see through the television and through Twitter, different Twitter follows and NFL Network, etc., is that when the NFL media rolls these prospects out, they do so in groups. So it's not one at a time. I mean, if they did it one at a time with each player getting 15 minutes, I mean, this would be a month-long combine, right? So they do it in groups. They try to, you know, it's by position. Sometimes they'll mix positions, but it's never more than, you know, two positions hitting the floor at the same time. And so on Friday, it was Drew Locke. It was Dwayne Haskins some other quarterbacks, and it was also, let me see, I think it was tight ends. No, excuse me, it was wide receivers. That's right, it was wide receivers that hit the floor on that first group on Friday. But let me start with Dwayne Haskins, and then I want to kind of sink my teeth a little bit into some of the things Drew Locke said. Now, a quick caveat, it was reported by Mike Kliss that the Denver Broncos did not meet with any of the big four quarterback prospects at the Combine. Now, that includes, of course, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Kyler Murray, and Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones also was amongst this group. I'll talk about him here in just a minute. But what can we take away from that? You know, what's the takeaway there? And I've been getting a lot of questions about that from from fans, from listeners of the show, from VIP subscribers. 
I put some feelers out there. Here's what I've basically gotten back and really what I've come to the conclusion on myself is that the first thing that fans need to remember, or at least know, maybe you didn't know this, but the Denver Broncos have already met with Drew Luck and Daniel Jones at the Senior Bowl. So there's there's that, plus there's the opportunity for the Denver Broncos, between now and the draft, they have 30 headquarter visits that they can schedule with draft prospects in which they invite them to the facility at Dove Valley, spend a day with them, let them walk around. It's not always a whole day or et cetera, you know. But they'll bring them in, let them tour the facility, talk to them up close. Sometimes they'll go out and grab a bite uh, in, in the evening. So my guess would be, my guess would be that Drew Locke and Daniel Jones will be amongst those two of those 30 visits that the Broncos will be allotted. Everything I've been told, and who knows, it could be a smokescreen, but the Broncos aren't interested in Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins. So that's kind of the scuttlebutt that I've picked up, at least at the top of the draft. The Broncos, you know, obviously have shown interest in Locke and Jones. And Jones, again, he's a little bit unsexy. And our listeners, you know basically how both Zach and I feel about Daniel Jones. If he was a second-round pick, I could live with it. I would have a hard time swallowing Daniel Jones for the Broncos in the first round, though, just because of some of his limitations in terms of arm talent. But he does check a lot of the other boxes, and you know, if we're if we're getting down to the nitty gritty, I I mean, he projects best into a West Coast variant, which is what Scangarello runs and what he plans on running, and just the savvy and acumen that Scangarello has working with and developing quarterbacks. I mean, look at the work he did with Jimmy Garoppolo. Look at the work especially he did. I mean, the best testimonial of what Scangarello can do in terms of identifying talent and then developing talent is Nick Mullins. So if you take a quarterback who's still raw and in, you know, in potentia like Daniel Jones, there's a great chance that if he ended up under Scangarello's wing, that he'd be able to make some some hay with Daniel Jones. You know, you just have to know you know, it's like it's like Skingarell talked about at his introductory press conference back in January that, you know, he likes to instead of constantly drilling and working on or focusing on is probably a better term, uh, the limitations of a quarterback. He likes to focus on, hey, let's identify what you do best. Let's accentuate those traits. Let's utilize those traits within the scheme, and then everything else, you know, we'll get to in in due time, basically. So I could see the Broncos having some success with Jones, but he's he would project more as the type of, you know, kind of a Brock Osweiler type where you're not expecting him to step in and play anytime in the near, near future. So if the Broncos had designs on leaning on Joe Flacco for two or three years and play, letting him play out his contract, I could see Jones making a lot of sense, but some other team's probably going to take him in the first round, and I'm just hoping it's not the Denver Broncos. So that's what... You know, getting back to that that Cliss tweet, that's how that's what I've picked up. Okay, is that it's no big deal. I mean, if there's any takeaway from that, from what I've learned, it's that the Broncos right now do not appear to have any interest in Dwayne Haskins or Kyler Murray. Now, again, that could be a, a smokescreen and it could completely change on draft day. But I don't know. I don't think Elway's never really been that uh, you know savvy as as a football you know, from football espionage, et cetera, usually you can pretty closely follow 
the ball in terms of where the Broncos are showing interest, and those are the players that end up in Denver. It's not an absolute. Like the Broncos did not bring in Bradley Chubb, for example, but they didn't expect to, to have a shot at Bradley Chubb last season, so let's face it. So sometimes the football gods, you know, they lift their skirt and a blessing is shined down on you. And in this ca- in that case, the Broncos said, well, we could take Josh Rosen, we could take Josh Allen, we could take Lamar Jackson, but we're going to roll the dice and go ahead and take Bradley Chubb. Now, if they, I've said this on the podcast many times before, if they can come out of the 2019 draft with their bona fide franchise quarterback of the future, then Elway will have been able to have his cake and eat it too. He got Bradley Chubb, a franchise caliber edge rusher, which is certainly a part of the championship foundation that a team has to have long term. And then the next year, a franchise caliber quarterback. So we'll see how that shakes out. But let me get back to what happened Friday. So Dwayne Haskins comes out, and I'll be honest with you, he had a lot of media. He probably had more media attention than Drew Locke. Both of them were at the podium at the same time, although Locke certainly had his fair share. But they were mostly the people talking to Locke. We were mostly teams that had already, you know, media members who had, who were covering teams that had been tied to Locke, whereas Haskins, who's been projected in so many mocks, as the number one quarterback off the board, and in some cases the first quarterback off the or the number one pick overall, you know he had probably more of the national scrutiny on him. So I spent some time over there listening to him. I didn't even bother trying to get into question because it was literally, I mean, it was just a scrum over there with Haskins. But his questions were, you know, he's very self confident, very short and to the point with his responses. Always viewed himself as an NFL caliber talent, and you know he expects to to crush the combine in the in the passing drills throwing and and you know he's probably not going to run the fastest 40 that's not his bag but in in the passing drills testing he expects to crush it and so I listened to him for a minute and then I thought you know what I need to get over there to Drew Lock so I went over to Drew and listened to his conversation in which you know he answered a question and talked about what it was like or what it meant to him to have John Elway actually attend one of his games. He attended the Arkansas game in which Locke had a huge performance, and it was in the rain. You know, those nine-inch hands were having to deal with a wet ball in the rain going against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Had a phenomenal game. Missouri Tigers won. And basically what Drew said is that he was flattered that, you know, he didn't know about the Elway's visit to scout him ahead of time, which he thought was probably a good thing just because, you know, maybe it would have added additional pressure. But he was flattered that Elway at least thought highly enough of him to make the trip and consider it as a possibility that this could be a quarterback to, you know, using his verbiage in a paraphrasing way, you know, take over the team as a franchise caliber quarterback. So other than that, Locke talked a lot about, you know, what he's been working on in terms of his his platform, his footwork. He, he's got the arm talent thing down, throwing at different angles, He's got the ad-lib ability thing down. That's just innate. It's a natural trait that cannot be taught. So that's what his position coach that he's working with in the offseason here in preparation for the draft, Jordan Palmer, what they've really been working on is his footwork because everything else comes natural. It's easy. And so they're focusing in terms of improvement on that footwork, which is good. We've heard Eric Trickle join the show and talk a lot about why footwork is so important for a quarterback in terms of governing their accuracy so that is something drew lock does need to improve on and it was kind of curious that you know he was asked on a scale of one to ten 
how do you view yourself in terms of accuracy? He said 10, but let's face it, he's not a 10. He's not a 10. It doesn't mean he's not he's inaccurate, but he is not the most accurate passer in this class. It's probably Dwayne Haskins. Now, from a deep ball perspective, he's probably a better deep ball thrower than Dwayne Haskins, but it was interesting to see him answer it that way. He also was asked, you know, who's the best quarterback in this class, or do you view yourself? Some of these very uh, cliche type of questions that you hear for guys at the podium that are trying to put their hat into the ring for the draft. And, you know, his answer was pretty run-of-the-mill. It wasn't extremely alpha in the same way that Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray's answers were very alpha. But Locke basically showed some class and said that he believes, you know, he's got what it takes. And so one thing I came away with from being in front of Drew Locke and and just kind of getting a chance to to vibe off of his personality. He's got it. Like, he is the type of guy I can see, uh, you know, steps into a room and, and he can control the room type thing, like you expect from a team leader or from a franchise quarterback in terms of media relations, fan relations, public relations, et cetera. That's never going to be a problem for Drew Locke. I just wonder whether or not that translates from a leadership perspective. I don't know. You know, I'll have to probably do a little bit more research on him in that regard, what some of his teammates say about him at the Combine, etc. But very impressive, though. Overall, Drew Locke at the podium did not disappoint. Very illuminating and engaging conversation to be had with Drew Locke. And it was kind of funny at the end because, you know, the NFL media department, they have these little handlers that go from podium to podium. And when the time's running out... Usually they wait in between a question when there's a little bit of dead space and they'll kind of raise their voice and say, and you can hear it often when you watch Broncos podium uh, interviews where one of the PR guys will say, all right, guys, two more questions, two more questions for John or whatever. And this guy that did it in, in the case for Drew Locke, he was in the middle of speaking, Drew Locke, okay, middle of a remark, answering a question, which he's there for. That's why he's there. And the NFL media guy spoke over him and said, two more questions, guys, and kind of cut Locke off. And Locke glanced to his right and just kind of, you know, creased his eyebrows like, what the? Okay. And, you know, you can kind of see him just be like, what the heck? All right. And he shook it off really quickly, though, and went back and answered the question. And, you know, I kind of, some people could read into that as saying that, you know, he, he doesn't like being interrupted and he's entitled and all this and that. But I saw that as a guy who actually, you know, it kind of goes back to his ad lib ability. He thought quick on his feet. He was interrupted. He was like, what the heck? And then, boom, he finished his train of thought that he was on and moved on to the next two questions and hopped off the podium. So Drew Locke was an impressive guy. You know, if he ends up going to Denver, uh, I think the Broncos will have themselves a very good long-term franchise caliber quarterback. But there's going to be some demand there. Just talking to people around the league here at the Combine, Drew Locke has some fans in the NFL. And after seeing what a player like Patrick Mahomes has done, taking the league by storm, there's a lot of similarities there. And one thing that was interesting, last thing I'll say about Locke before I move on here, running out of time, is he talked about Patrick Mahomes as, uh, you know, when he was at the Senior Bowl, he talked about Patrick Mahomes. When he was asked specifically today about what pro quarterback he models his game after, though, he actually mentioned and said it was Aaron Rodgers. 
which I can see. Now, he's going to have to get his accuracy up in order to be on any kind of level remote, remotely close to Aaron Rodgers. But some of those similar innate abilities that you see from Rodgers, the <clears throat> effortless throwing of the football, different platforms and angles of the arm, the mobility, just enough mobility to be elusive, and then, of course, the coveted ad-lib uh, acumen. So very interesting stuff from Drew Locke. And then last thing I'll jump – well, two more points I'll get to. Kyler Murray – you want to talk about a scrum, you could take you could take Drew, uh, Dwayne Haskins' media contingent, add Drew Locks to it, and that's what was there <clears throat> for Kyler Murray. And, uh, you know, he talked a lot about his height, talked a little bit about, you know, why he's not throwing, which he just said that's what the timetable that my family and my agent have put together for me, and I'm going to stick to that. And, you know, he talked a little bit about why he left Texas A&M for Oklahoma, but really... If we're going to face facts, the reason why he's probably choosing not to throw is because he ended up tipping the scales at 207. Now, he was listed by Oklahoma at 5'10", 185 in season. And all the scouts I talked to, people around the league before the combine, said, you know, try 170. You know, that 185 was very forgiving in terms of they're trying to inflate him, make him look bigger than he is for his draft stock, et cetera, et cetera. So he went and put on some LBs, man, and he's a very, you know, thick 207 right now. And if you're a quarterback that's, you know, of his type of talent, that quick twitch athleticism, big strong arm, explosive type of athlete, and you all of a sudden go on, let's just say he was 185, all right? Let's say that Oklahoma was telling the truth all along, and you all of a sudden cram on nearly 25 pounds, I mean— it's going to affect your range of motion. It's going to affect your comfort zone as a thrower. And so it's understandable why, in that sense, he said, look, i got to tip the scales, make, my, make NFL teams uh, think that, you know, check those boxes, so to speak, for NFL teams. But I'm going to wait another month or so. I'm going to drop back these LBs, get back down to a playing weight I'm a little bit more familiar and comfortable with, and I'll throw up my pro day. And some prospects, most most highly regarded quarterback prospects who have chosen to forego the passing at the combine, it doesn't hurt their draft stock. I mean, it creates questions, but at the end of the day, I mean, look at Sam Darnold. He still went third overall. He didn't throw at the combine. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I remain suspicious of Kyler Murray. There was an interesting uh, Twitter thread on Friday from Benjamin Albright in which he talked about one of the reasons why Kyler Murray had success at Oklahoma was because uh, Lincoln Riley, he drew up his scheme to have his offensive line create wider splits so that there were larger passing lanes, right? So that the height issue with Murray being 5'10 was mitigated, you know, it was minimized. Obviously, you're not going to be able to go wider splits at the NFL level because with NFL athletes and pass rushers, I mean, your quarterback's going to be getting killed every single snap. So, some teams are going to recognize that. Some teams are going to be scared off by Kyler Murray, but all it takes is one, and I still envision him and see him. And I, nothing that I've seen or talked or anyone I've talked to at the Combine this week has dissuaded me of this. He's going in the top ten somewhere. So that's Kyler Murray. Now, a couple more guys I want to talk about, and then if I have some time, I'm going to, I'm going to try and answer some questions from the Twitter mailbag. But – the next round of quarterbacks that came out, there was a few guys I was really disappointed I didn't get any one-on-one time because I was so focused on 
Locke, Haskins, and then later on also, of course, oh, Will Greer. Jeez, how could I forget Will Greer? Spent some time with Will Greer as well. And I know Eric Trickle's going to hate me for this, but I'm still one of those guys that won't be disappointed if the Broncos end up with Will Greer on day two. I just won't be. I think there's some there there. I think he's a guy that, yes, could use some further development, but I do see him as a draftable player. And I want to discuss a notion, in fact, on this similar topic. It was a great comment on the VIP forum, MHH Insiders, by a longtime VIP subscriber, CU Buff in Texas. 164 months, my dude, has been a subscriber, VIP. And one of the comments he made on a thread, if for those of VIPs who want to go find this, it was on the topic of Broncos did not meet with any of the big four QBs at the Combine. You can go down and find this conversation. Pretty good chat. Anyway... What CU Buff said was basically that listening to former GM Mark Dominic talk, he says you only use draft picks on guys that you think are going to get a second contract, etc. And then also he goes on to say that you know you don't waste a draft pick for a backup quarterback unless it's a seventh. It's a waste of resources, and even then it's not wise. Just think about Elway's time with Dysert, Zach Dysert, Trevor Simeon, Chad Kelly all gone within a one to four years time span that rookie contract wasted picks that's what CU Buff said but here's what you're missing in terms of the forest for the trees if, if that's your perspective is that yeah you know there's there are failure stories like that things didn't work out but Trevor Simeon did start a lot of games he went eight and five as a starter for the Broncos as a second year player in 2016 flamed out the next year and the Broncos traded him Kelly had some talent. Dysert, yeah, he was basically a, a wasted pick. He never brought the Broncos any sort of value. Kelly had the upside, but he went and stepped on his you-know-what and got bounced out of Denver. But here's the way you need to look at it, okay, is, yeah, those – I understand that perspective that you don't waste a, a coveted draft pick on a quarterback that you view as a backup but sometimes backup quarterbacks or quarterbacks that are drafted in the mid to late rounds grow and develop and turn into more than what they appear to be on the surface when you drafted them. I mean, there are surprises. It happens more and more as the NFL wears on and on. And despite the NFL teams trying to perfect the scouting process, this is happening more and more often where guys like Tom Brady, a six-round pick. Now, you can scream at your phone right now that he's the golden exception to the rule, and I understand what you mean. But Tom Brady's of the world. I mean, Russell Wilson, even Pete Carroll talked about this on Thursday. I mean, if anyone would have known Russell Wilson was as good as he, he is, he would have been a first overall pick probably. Or, you know, I guess that was 2012. So he would have been right up there with your Andrew Lux and RG3s in terms of the quarterback class if people would have known then what they know now, right? But even look at your Nick Foles of the world. Jimmy Garoppolo was a day-two pick, and I understand you know, he's really yet to do anything of, of note uh, in the NFL, but what I'm getting at is it's, I, I disagree with that premise that any quarterback you draft that you don't envision being a day-one starter basically is a wasted pick. I just I disagree with that. Now, back to Will Greer. He's the type of quarterback that if you could get a little bit later in the draft, yeah, I mean, bring him in and develop him a little bit. You know, his nickname that he goes by, and I heard it actually for the first time here at the Combine, it made me smile, is Touchdown Jesus. I mean, the guy has a killer instinct, and he challenges defenses vertically. 
you know, he's he's got uh, a fever, and the only prescription is touchdowns. That's that's him. So, you know, if you can work around the edges and figure out some of his technical issues, and I think there's something there. Like, it wouldn't surprise me, for example, that New England Patriots are looking for a quarterback now, a prospect, a candidate to succeed Tom Brady and serve in that Jimmy Garoppolo role. It would not surprise me if you saw the New England Patriots move up or figure out a way to come to come down with uh, Will Greer. But he was very engaging. I got asked on Twitter after I tweeted a picture of him if he's wearing makeup. No, he's just a handsome son of a bitch. That's just the truth. And he talked about juggling, you know, life as a grad student, as a you know near pro level athlete, and as a family man, a husband and a father. And you know, he's a, he's also very. Uh, confident and commanding engaging personality at the podium so he's got a lot of the type of franchise markers that are going to make teams feel tingly in their nether regions so very interesting guy but then I got to talk to a few other quarterbacks in uh, let me get to this note here in Gardner Minshew and also ya boy Jarrett Stidham so both guys confirmed that they have met with the Broncos. Uh, Stidham met with them, I believe it was. Let me let me go back to my notes here. Stidham met with the Broncos, and then Gardner Minshew met with them at the Senior Bowl, and then with T.C. McCartney again here at the Combine. So this kind of ties back into that same conversation of candidates for for being drafted by the Broncos and teaming up, putting them under the wing of Rich Scangarello if the Broncos go a different direction with pick 10. You know, Drew Locke is gone, and, uh, you know, they get to the second round, and, of course, Daniel Jones is gone. So you're looking at some other options. I think the guy that has to rise to the top, at least a guy's Jarrett Stidham, to me, becomes the number one guy. I like him better than Brett Rippon. I like him better than Gardner Minshew. Talking to guys around the league, Gardner Minshew, and, by the way, Gardner Minshew, very sharp, smart intelligent dude but he's not even six foot one and he lacks some of that arm talent most people view him as kind of a career backup type of you know Keenum type of guy but he put up some numbers dude at Washington State albeit in one year but he talked a lot about how Mike Leach the coach there at Washington State you know he's an air raid coach and he he, uh, Minshew talked about how the former stigma that the NFL used to have for air raid quarterbacks that's begun to be dispelled by the success of some of these quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff and even now Baker Mayfield. So he thinks that spells good things in the future for himself, Gardner Minshew, but he's probably a you know early day three pick type of guy, but he has talked to the Broncos and so has Jarrett Stidham. Now Jarrett Stidham is a player, I, I think when it's all said and done, Stidham's going in the second round. That's my perspective. You know, he didn't have great college numbers, but he models his game after Jimmy Garoppolo. So it's no wonder why Rich Scangarello has an interest in Jarrett Stidham. And if you want to be honest, I mean, Auburn's offense, I think this was talked about and pointed out on MHH Insiders in another conversation, but Auburn's offense was just never very good. And so, you know, that reflected in its own way on the quarterback so I think when he gets his opportunity at the next level, Jarrett Stidham, if he goes to the right team and gets teamed up with the right offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, he can have some success. But that pretty much 
accounts for the the last two days since you heard from me anyway. I know you had a podcast waiting for you Friday morning, but we recorded that Wednesday. So a lot's happened since then. I think I've done a pretty good job of covering all that. And I'll try to get to one more podcast before I leave Indy. And hopefully Zach can join me on that. I can't promise it, but I hope Zach should be able to to join me on that. And I was going to get to a VIP mailbag, uh, but I've kind of ran long here. I've kind of ran long because there was just so much to cover. But you know what? I'm looking here. The VIPs do have a couple questions. So I will serve as your football priest as always, and I will offer the absolution and answers to your Burning Broncos questions, especially the VIPs. You know, I'm always going to bend over backwards for the VIPs. Here's one from Paul826, going on three months as a VIP subscriber, a phenomenal, phenomenal listener of the show. Question, which players stood out today and who didn't? Uh, To me, the biggest standouts Friday, I would have to say, were Drew Locke, Will Greer. Oh, my gosh, I've almost completely forgotten about TJ Hawkinson and the tight ends. I need to talk about that. I'll get to that here in a second. TJ, I might as well actually talk about them while I'm answering this question. TJ Hawkinson stood out big time. Now, he was, he got up there and started talking about, very humble in terms of, you know, the hype train has left, officially left the station on, on TJ Hawkinson. And he knows that, and he's been told that. And who knows how much he's really paid attention to that. Publicly, at least at the podium today, he said he's not paying any heed to the TJ Hawkinson hype. And you guys know how much I like him. But what was really interesting about him, two things. One, he literally started crying, tearing up, got extremely emotional when he talked about how much playing for the Iowa Hawkeyes has meant to him and how much his relationship with Kirk Ferentz, the head coach there, has impacted him and meant to him. Like literally got, he was overcome. It wasn't just one of those things where he got choked up and teary. Like his voice was cracking he had to pause for a second. He kind of had to, you know, gather himself, which I thought was very unique. Like, this is a guy hard on his sleeve, dude, good for better or for worse. And when he's on the gridiron, he's a guy that just flips the switch and turns Hulk mode. I mean, go watch his his tape. Go watch some cut-ups on TJ Hawkinson. And, you know, he was asked specifically, of course, about Noah Fant, his teammate who's also entering the draft this year and is one of the top. It's going to be either tight end one or tight end three at the worst off the board. And uh, he said, look, you know, I, he's a very good player, very short and to, the su- and, and to the point, short and sweet as it regards Noah Fant. Now, Noah Fant, when he was at the podium, he said, look, I'm the number one tight end in this class. I should be the number one, like very focused on that, got out in front of that trope really quickly, said, you know, TJ, I'm always going to have a healthy and, you know, friendly uh, competition with him, but I'm the best tight end in this class. So I thought that was interesting. I didn't particularly care for Noah Fant's kind of vibe and personality. I'm sure he's a great kid, don't get me wrong, but you know, if I'm comparing him with TJ Hawkinson in terms of the type of mentality and attitude, Fant came off to me as a little bit more egotistical and entitled, whereas Hawkinson struck me as a guy who just knows that, look, I'm going to outwork you, I'm going to outhustle you. And I'm going to appreciate every opportunity thrown my way. So if I'm investing a first-round pick or a second-round pick on a tight end, it's going to be TJ Hawkinson. And if he's off the board, it's probably going to be Irv Smith from Alabama, not Noah Fant. I don't know. He just kind of rubbed me wrong. And his tape is great. Don't get me wrong. Noah Fant's a very good player. But 
I don't know. He just he kind of irritated me. But as far as other players who stood out to me, Caden Smith from Stanford, he didn't have very many people talking to him. I, I was able to go up and chat with him for quite a bit. And he told me that, yes, he has met with the Broncos. They put him on the whiteboard, you know, tested his football acumen. He said it was a great conversation, great meeting. So Stanford has been known for putting out some pretty dang good offensive linemen, tight ends, and running backs into the NFL over the years, and a damn good quarterback, let's not forget. Two of them, actually. And he hopes to be the next great tight end from Stanford. So he's a bright kid. I expect him to go probably somewhere late day two, early day three. I don't know, somewhere in there. But he was, he was good. Other standouts, Will Greer, he stood out to me. And I know he's not a high-round draft choice candidate, but Gardner Minshew was a lot of fun to talk to. So was Andy Isabella, the little whiteout, um, Renfro from Clemson. There were some other interesting conversations, but that's who stood out to me today. Last question here from No Fly Zone 2125, going on 15 months as a VIP subscriber. Question, what players are the Broncos really focusing on? Are there any that intrigue you? Um, It appears, yes, the Denver Broncos. So the positions we've had a chance to to talk to through the first three days of the combine, running back, some wide receiver, offensive line, quarterbacks, tight ends. I didn't get as much time to talk to the wide receivers as I wanted to, but that's one of those positions that, I mean, the the perception the fans have that you don't need to worry about running backs – you really kind of don't need to worry about wide receivers this year. They might go find a burner, as we reported last week or earlier this week. But um, And I did talk to Mecole Hardman very briefly, the Georgia kid. But mostly, you know, if I'm talking about what intrigues me and what the Broncos are focusing on, they're focusing on quarterback, offensive line, tight end. Three biggest holes that they have on the roster, arguably. And... The guys that intrigue me the most, I think I've done a pretty good job on this podcast today highlighting that. So thank you for the questions, you guys. As always, if you have questions, hit me up on Twitter, VIPs, hit me up on the MHH Insiders Forum. So that'll do it for today's podcast. Again, I'll try and get another one out to you tomorrow, Saturday. And depending on my travel plans and how much time I have Sunday, we'll see. If not, I'll have one for you within the next day or two following Monday for sure. So in the meantime, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner who is absent on this pod, Zach Kelberman on Twitter at Kelberman247. By the way, it was great spending time with Zach. It was, uh, we finally got to meet in person. We hit it off in person as much as we did, you know, through our conversations on the pod and, you know, the internet friendship that in and, and professional partnership that we've forged we hit it off in the same way in person. It was a lot of fun to spend a couple of days with Zach and you know really see him engage the NFL process and get right down there and asking people questions, asking GMs and coaches. I mean, you know, he asked Pete Carroll for example, what was the logic? This is Zach talking to Pete Carroll. He goes, "What was the logic behind the Paxton, you know, signing Paxton Lynch?" And Pete Carroll, you know, he kind of looked at him. He's like, "The logic? I mean, have you seen him?" You know, he's tall, and then both of us, you know, we start laughing, of course, because, you know, the tall trope on Paxton Lynch, you just think of all those Vance Joseph clips. But uh, anyway, it was it was great to see Zach, and hopefully the future will offer many more opportunities for Zach and I to cross paths in, uh, you know, in person and create 
more and more content for you, our listeners, readers, and VIP subscribers of the website. So anyway, that'll do it. I'll be back tomorrow to talk to you again. I'm Chad Jensen here at the Combine for Zach Kelberman. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.